Let's take our Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 once again. Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue our series this morning on living by faith, I'm so thankful for the wonderful examples of faith in the Bible. And this morning, we are going to look at Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and her example of faith. But one of the things that really strikes me about Sarah's example of faith is that Sarah definitely exemplified somebody who, even in her faith, also struggled. Anybody can relate with Sarah uh, that in their faith they still struggle. And I'm so thankful that God uses weak people to do great things, aren't you? Because if He only used good, strong, powerful, wonderful people to do great things, we'd probably all should just go on home right now because I don't know if we could do much in and of ourselves. But Sarah is an example of somebody that God used even in spite of, I would say, we might say her weak faith. And yet here she is listed in this hall of faith or this list of faithful people that God gives to us in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll look at just a couple of verses to begin. Verses 11 and 12. God's word says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And that's a great phrase. We're going to come back to that thought. Because she had judged him faithful who had promised. Just a little Bible trivia to start yourself out this morning. Who did she judge faithful? Was it Abraham? No, it was God. You already had it right. You knew. She judged God faithful because it was God who had made a promise, a promise to both Abraham and to Sarah. And then look at verse 12. The Bible says, therefore, sprang there even one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude. So there sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead. Let's talk about Abraham, by the way. He just uh, physically was not able to uh, be able to give seed so that a child could be born. And it says, and they were, and were um, so, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. We serve a God who always keeps His promises. He always keeps His promises. King Solomon said about the Lord in 1 Kings 8 and verse 56, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto His people Israel according to all that He had promised. There hath not failed one word of all His good promise. What an incredible thought that our God never fails, not even in one word. Boy, if we had to live our life and say, well, I haven't failed in one word, we probably wouldn't be able to live more than one minute or maybe one hour, for sure not one day. But our God, who is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, He has never failed, not even in one word. And he says, there's not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. Have you ever wondered 
How many promises does God make in the Bible? Well, others have wondered the same thing. If you look just up the word promise in the Bible, that word is used over 100 times in our Bible. There was one man that I read about. His name was Everett Storms. He was a Canadian school teacher, but he loved to read his Bible. And on his 27th time of reading through his Bible, he decided to mark down every promise that he could find in the Bible that God made to mankind. And uh, he counted up 7,487 promises that he found that God had made to mankind. Now, I would challenge you next year when you're reading through your Bible, if you want to check Everett Storms, then you start counting as well, and I think it'd be pretty neat. Even if you came up with a slightly different number than he did, I think you would find that God has made many promises to mankind. And what a great exercise that would be. He said it took him a year and a half as he was reading through to track down all of those promises of God. While we may not know exactly, and depending on who you ask, the number may change a little bit, how many promises God has made. We can say with absolute certainty this morning that every single promise that God has made, God has kept. God always keeps His promises. Now, there are some, somebody in the, this morning might want to disagree with me and say, well, Pastor, what about those conditional promises that He made to His people? Well, even those conditional promises, when He gave two options, if you do this, then I will do that, but if you go this way, I will do this, God also kept His part of that promise as well. God always keeps His promises. He always does what he says he will do. God never lies. God, in fact, the Bible says, cannot lie. And we need to learn to be able to exercise faith in God's promises. The Bible says in Genesis 11 and verse 30 that Sarai, this was what she was known as before she was known as Sarah, she was barren. She had no child. And then you go a few chapters later in Genesis 17, in verse 19, God made a promise to Sarah. He said, And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Now, I don't want to assume that everybody knows the whole story of Abraham and Sarah. The story, Abraham had left this city where he and his family had been from, from Ur the Chaldees, and they began to move, following the direction of God's leading. His wife Sarah went with him, as well as did Lot and Lot's wife and some of the other servants and extended family members. But as they began to travel, God took them to a promised land, this land of Canaan. And as they began to dwell there and live there, God blessed them. He blessed them so much that, uh, that Abraham and Lot had to part ways. And if you remember, Lot chose to go toward the well-watered plain down near Jordan, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. That's a whole other story of Lot and his story of living near Sodom and Gomorrah and the absolute destruction and spiritual struggle that Lot and his family faced as a result of that choice. 
But after Lot chose the well-watered plain, the plain that looked good for cattle, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, everything else that you can see, all the land that you can see, I will give to you and to your people. And he made a promise to Abraham that Abraham and his wife Sarah would have a son. And this son would be named Isaac. And this son would be the son of promise, he called it. And that through this son, through the descendant of Abraham, through this promised son, God was going to bless all nations of the world. And you know, Abraham couldn't see everything that we can see today. He didn't have access to all of his future genealogies. We can read them in the past tense, but Abraham couldn't see the future. But Abraham served a God who didn't just see the future, he controlled the future, and he, and he was the God who has put the future in place and has every plan and accomplishes it every time. And so Abraham and Sarah, in their old age, were promised a son. Now, humanly speaking, this was not possible, and yet God promised it. And as we'll see this morning, God always keeps his promise. I want you to turn back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to look at several different passages in Genesis as we trace this story through of what God did through Abraham and Sarah specifically this morning and how God always keeps his promise. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai... Abram's wife bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I, bear, I pray thee, go in to thy maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Now, if you research back during the culture of this time period, this would actually not be unacceptable culturally. So if a woman was unable to give birth, then it would have been culturally acceptable for her to give her handmaid to her husband for him to give birth by the handmaid, and she would call that child her son. And so that's what Abram and Sarah decided to do. It says, And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, <coughs> to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So after Hagar gives birth, or after she is pregnant, then Sarai is very upset. And Sarai says to Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I've given my maid to thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And notice the last phrase of verse 6. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. You know that word that in our English Bible there is translated hardly? That's the same Hebrew word that is used to describe the Egyptians' treatment of the descendants of Abraham later on when they were enslaved in Egypt. Sarai was not kind to Hagar. What's really interesting to me, and I hope that you'll catch a little bit of this morning, is in this whole story, when we just read about Sarai being made a promise, God promised her a child, and she made that statement, she says, the Lord has restrained me. 
God made her a promise that she would have a child, but then she says, but God is keeping me from having this child. So she took matters into her own hands. When her maid, or when Hagar had a child, Sarai was then very upset about this. And because of that, she treated Hagar and Ishmael very poorly as a result. And if you trace the story of Hagar and Ishmael, you know that they were cast out completely. And Hagar got to the place that she thought she was going to die in the wilderness. And she thought her child was going to die because she had no food and no water. And God came along and he provided a special gift for Hagar and for this little baby and they survived and in fact Ishmael went on and had 12 sons and and if you trace that whole lineage that's where we get the nation if you will or the religion of Islam today traces down through the line of Ishmael and that all came about because Abraham and Sarah even though they're listed as faithful people and they were and you'll see why they were faithful people in their moment of feeling like there was no way for God to keep His promise, they decided to make or to take things into their own hands. I want you to notice, if you have your notes there, the first point, the promise of faith overcomes human practicality. I think this is one of the major ways in which we struggle to obey God and to believe His promises is because we read the promises of God, or in Abraham and Sarah's case, they heard the promises of God, but they looked at the situation practically and they said, there's no way for God to keep His promise the way He has said it to us. And I think Sarah indicates that in her statement when she says, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. She recognized that it was God who both could give her the ability to have children and also it was God who was restricting her from her ability to have children. And because she couldn't understand how if God was restricting her from having children, how she could then have children, she decided to go about fulfilling God's promise in her own human way and thereby she moved out of God's will and did things in her own way that ended up with awful consequences. And that's why I would say this, and this is a challenge I think for every single one of us, it is wrong to use human means that contradict God's divine promises. In other words, when God says something is to be a certain way, then we need to trust Him and let it be that way. Even if you and I look at the situation, we say, I can't make sense of this. You know, this happens in all kinds of areas of our life. God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then He makes that promise. And all these things shall be added unto you. But what do we do? We look around and we say, well, I don't have all the things. So i got to seek the things, and then after I get all the things, then I'll seek His kingdom. Amen. See, we have to be willing to trust God's promise and do it God's way instead of allowing our own human practicality to take over. Because you know what human practicality sometimes looks like? It looks like me trying to be God instead of letting God be God. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't use common sense. I'm not saying, I mean, literally, we look around the world and say, boy, there is a real lack of common sense out there. People don't know what to do. They don't use their brains. But listen, your brain is not God. So when God says something is to be a certain way, trust God at His word and be willing to do it God's way even if you can't wrap your mind about how God could do it. You know, I think about the promise of God when He says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And yet there are those who would say, well, but you don't know my sin. You don't know what I've done. You don't understand my past. I, I mean, I need to try to get some things worked out on my own first, and then I'll follow God. No, he says, if we confess, then he's faithful and just to forgive. So many times when it comes to the promises of God, we begin to apply our human practicality to the situation. And it's almost as if Sarah said, well, I know God's going to give us this child, and I know he's going to give this blessing, but I just don't think he's going to do it through me. But God had said specifically this child of promise would come through her. It's wrong to use human means that contradict God's divine promise. See, Sarah's statement about the Lord restraining her from bearing, that statement was true, right? Because when God wanted her to have a child, she did. But as long as God didn't want her to have a child, she didn't. Sarah's statement was true. But because God did not work on her timetable, then she tried to take matters into her own hands. When God doesn't do something in the way that you expect or in the time that you expect, that is not a valid excuse for turning and going your own direction. Just because God hasn't provided in the way that you think He will provide or in the way he, you think He should provide or in the time in which you think He should provide doesn't mean that He's not going to fulfill His plan. He says He'll provide for all of our needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I had a really neat phone call yesterday and got an update from our missionary John Schrader who's over in Zambia serving the Lord. Well, this is kind of a long story, so I'm going to try to keep it short, and I may miss a few of the details in it. But I was sitting in a church service probably over 10 years ago now when John and his family were raising support to go to Zambia as missionaries. And there was a missionary in Africa who told John about a plane that he had for sale. It was a bush plane that he had for sale, and John got really excited about owning this plane so that he could use it for mission work. And so the missionary said, I'll sell it to you. I'm leaving the country. I'll sell it to you for $15,000. He showed him pictures of the plane. He told him it was a, it's what they call a short takeoff and land, or it's equipped with a short takeoff and landing gear. So this plane, you could literally land in your front yard and take off in your backyard. I mean, it, it's amazing how quickly you can take off and land. It's got the big tires for landing on bumpy roads out in the brush, and this would be great for ministering in some of these villages where roads are so terrible, it's hard to get there, it's too dangerous, etc., etc. So John shared this need. There was a man 
that was in the service that night, and he wasn't a member of the church. He just happened to be visiting that day, and God had just blessed him financially. And so this man came up after the service, and he said, I want to give the $15,000 to pay for this plane. So he did. That was a miracle. Everybody was excited. We were all praising the Lord. We're excited, right? Everybody gets excited when money starts getting spent. Everybody loves that. Everybody says, wow, God's really in this. It's really exciting. Well, fast forward a little bit later, John gets his pilot license. He does all his things, and he gets to Africa, and he finds the plane. The plane wasn't flying in the air somewhere. It wasn't parked at an airport somewhere. No, it was taken apart in pieces and put in a shipping container. The guy that sold him to him didn't bother to share that fact. And not only that, the plane, because of some specific thing, and this is where it gets beyond my technical understanding, but because of something about the plane, even if it were to be assembled, it couldn't be registered in Zambia. So it literally did him no good. So John's very frustrated about this. and In fact, he called the man back who had given the money and offered to pay him back, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, I made a bad deal, I shouldn't have spent this money. Well, anyway, just a few weeks ago, um, lots of details have happened in the intervening time. This plane's been sitting in this crate for over 10 years, and it hasn't flown one time. And even if they could get it to fly, it's not legal to fly it. John was able to trade the plane this past week with a guy who's going to build their house for them. So the plane bought a house for him, so he's very thankful for that. And the guy that bought the plane He's friends with the president of Zambia, and he said, I think I can get it registered to fly in Zambia. And then he told him, he said, once I get the plane put together, he said, you can fly it anytime you need for your mission work. Isn't that pretty cool? Now, a long time, a lot of money. From a human's perspective, didn't look like it was a good deal at all. And in fact, it probably wasn't a good deal from a human perspective. But you know, God's faithful, isn't he? And he takes care of his children. And sometimes as we're walking with the Lord and trying to do what he wants us to do, we put ourselves in bind, sometimes out of our own lack of wisdom. And yet God is faithful. But he does it in his time. And he does it in his way. You know, I think about all that time when we don't see something happening the way that we want it to do. What do we often do? We often worry. We get upset. We get discouraged. We get frustrated. Are any of those attitudes things that God wants you to have in your life? No. We sometimes run, as Sarah did, and go and do things the wrong way. Is that what God wants us to do? No. He wants us to rest in His promises and to be faithful until the Lord works it out in His own way. It's wrong to go against God's clearly revealed Word, even if you think you have a rational justification for it. Say, but but I, can, I can explain it. If it contradicts God's Word, it's wrong. Well, how about this? Well, they did me wrong. I'm going to get them back. No, the Lord has another promise for you. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, God, let me pay them back for this one. No, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. 
Can we not look at the wonderful promise in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says very simply, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. So it's wrong to use human means that contradict God's promises. Let me give you a second sub-point there. The fulfillment of God's promise does not mean the consequences from sin will not be felt. Oh, it's a mouthful. Did God fulfill His promise to Sarah? Yes. But did Sarah have to deal with the ongoing consequences from her wrong choice? Yes. So, while I want to encourage you that God keeps His promises often in spite of our lack of or in spite of our uh, lack of knowledge or wisdom or our wrong choice, God still keeps His promise. But just because God keeps His promise and He still may bless you, doesn't mean you still won't face the consequences of those wrong choices in the first place. Now, God's faithful. When He forgives sin, He forgives it, right? It's forgiven. It's put as far as the east is from the west. But while He's promised to forgive sin, He hasn't promised to remove all the consequence of sin in this life. There's still pain. There's still scars. There's still difficulty. So my encouragement to you is this. Don't treat God's promises as something that, well, if I'm faithful or not, God will still keep His promise and it'll all work out in the end anyway. Well, it does work out from God's perspective, but it doesn't mean that our life escapes the consequences of our unwise choices and sinful choices along the way. God did fulfill His promise to Sarah in spite of Abraham and Sarah's willingness to take matters into their own hands. When you read the story in the Old Testament, it really doesn't seem like Sarah even had much faith. Remember the first time she heard about this? What was her response? She laughed. She laughed. <laughs> no way. Yet, in Hebrews 11, verse 11, our text for today, the Bible clearly says that she judged him faithful who had promise. Sarah did receive what God promised, and yet there were great consequences for her lack of faith. I want to keep moving on with the story. More could be said, but we've already seen how the promise of faith overcomes human practicality. I want you to notice, secondly, from the life of Sarah and from her faith in the Lord, that the promise of faith overcomes human limitations. Human limitations. The promise of faith overcomes human limitations. Turn over, you're maybe back in Genesis 16. Look over to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, and let's look at verse number 11. Genesis 18, verse 11 through 15. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. That means they were old numerically and they were old physically. They were feeling the effects of being old. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She's no longer able to bear children. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? This isn't going to happen. And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? 
Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Notice that next question, verse 14. Let's all read that out loud, nice and loud together. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What do you think? But do we live as if that rhetorical question is true? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, it wasn't too hard for him to give a child to a 100-year-old man and a 90-something-year-old woman. That wasn't too hard. But, but my situation, you don't understand. It is really hard. I, I don't know. No. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, but I have this bill, and I'm just not sure. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I need a job. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I just don't know if I have the right answer to that question. So therefore, I don't want to share the gospel with mine. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Notice the answer. At the time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life. And Sarah, here's the promise. And Sarah shall have a son. He doesn't say Sarah by Hagar. He just says Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah, what was her response? She denied, saying, I laugh not. Why? Because she was afraid. Because she was afraid. And he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. Thou didst laugh. I'm so thankful that God's promise overcome our human limitation. Do you ever look at things on the news and see the hurt and pain and struggle in our country and you say, I don't think any, any good could come out of this. Well, God can do what we can't even imagine that He's able to do. Maybe you look at a family member who just seems beyond hope. Wednesday night we studying through 1 Thessalonians, and in chapter 5, we talked about the truth that there are no spare parts in the body of Christ, that God has a purpose for every single person, every single one of you and me all together. We have a purpose to do God's work. God's not restrained by human limitation. And then it says, in, I want you to hear Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. See, faith is believing that God is able to do far above and beyond anything we could ask or think. God's not restrained by human limitation. If you've been here any length of time in our church, you've heard me quote 1 Samuel 14, 6. Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go up over to the garrison of this uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. God, I don't have enough. God, we are not enough. God, we can't do this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God is not restrained by human limitation. Rather, I would say this, God is glorified 
through human limitation. God is glorified. That means He is lifted up. His name is made known. People see Him and say, wow, what a big God He must be. He doesn't choose often to use the mighty things of this world. He chooses to use the weak things, the things that in and of themselves have no strength. We are limited, but our God is limitless. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, Paul is dealing with his thorn in the flesh. And he says this, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that he might depart it from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Glory in my infirmities. Few of us got to be at a at a leaders conference, a leadership conference a couple of weeks ago. And we heard a testimony from a man who's been going through a number of physical struggles. He's had a number of seizures and heart attacks. In fact, he is coded on the table more than a couple of times and they've had to resuscitate him and bring him back to life so much so that he is shaking very badly physically he's very weak he looks in very bad shape and yet he got up and he gave a testimony and he quoted from these verses he said i am very weak but i'm learning that i need to glory in my infirmities glory in my infirmities he said i'm not enjoying this his wife was standing sweetly beside him trying to encourage him. His hands were shaking so badly he, almost, he could, almost couldn't stand there. And he said, I'm learning to glory in my infirmities. Why? He said, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God gets a lot more glory when he gives a child to an old woman who's beyond childbearing years. So when God allows you to go into a situation that feels way outside of your control and way beyond your human ability, God may be allowing that because he's about to get a lot of glory if you'll be faithful to him and learn to glory in the infirmities. Why? So that the power of Christ could rest upon you. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Can we read the last part of this verse together, the bottom line there? For when I am weak, then am I strong. What a thought. Was Sarah weak? Yes. Was Abraham weak? Yes. But God is strong. God is strong. We live in a world today that, and I struggle with this as much as anybody else, but we really want to have strength in and of ourselves. We want to be self-sufficient. God's put us here to, to work and to provide and to do these things, but we are not strong enough to overcome the things that this world will throw at us. We must find our strength and find our rest in the Lord. God is glorified by human limitation. And then I want to make one more big point to you this morning. That the promise of faith results in the faithful fulfillment of God's plan. 
The promise of faith is something that always overcomes human practicality. The promise of faith is able to overcome human limitation. And the promise of faith results in the faithful fulfillment of God's plan. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11 and 12. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. God wasn't limited by human limitation. And was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, therefore, sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Why do you think the author of he or the writer of Hebrews uses those illustrations about the stars in the sky and the sand and the sea? Why do you think he did that? Well, because ultimately the author of Hebrews is the same author of Genesis, and his name is Jehovah. His name is God. And when he made his promise to Abraham, what did he say? He said, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you children that will number greater than the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. And in Hebrews chapter 11, that's exactly what we see had been fulfilled. You see, the promise of faith results in the faithful fulfillment of God's plan. Did the descendants of Abraham through Isaac, the promised son, become more in number than the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky? Yes, they did. So God always keeps His promise. He always keeps His promise. But I have two little sub-sub points. Maybe I'm breaking this down too much. But He always keeps His promise in His time and in His way. God keeps His promise, but He does it in His time and in His way. God's promise is not a tool for us to somehow take advantage of and use to accomplish our own purposes and means. No, God's promises are things that we get to rest upon and work out from to accomplish the things that God wants us to do in His time and in His way. Let me give you a little example. Someone who takes the promise, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and then goes and does something foolish is not somebody who's living in the promise of God. They're just doing foolish things, and they're trying to take the promise of God and twist it to accomplish their own purpose. Someone who takes the promise of God and then goes against God's clear word on what is right and what is wrong is not living within the promise of God. They're living out their own purpose and trying to get God to bless it after the fact. The promise of faith results in the faithful fulfillment, not of our plan, but of God's plan. So many times people would like to live their life their own way, going their own direction, and when things get really bad, say, well, but God promised He would always protect His children. Yeah, for those who are walking with Him and doing what's right, because the Bible also says, here's another promise of God. I'm giving you little known 
promises or claimed promises of God. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son who is disobedient. Right? That's a promise of God too, by the way. We like the promises that say he's going to bless us and care for us, but he will chasten us. He'll correct us. And so when you make a wrong choice and you expect that God's going to bless your wrong choice, you have no promise of that. But what you do have, even in your wrong choice, is that he'll forgive you if you confess your sin. That he does restore those who come back to him. He says, him that cometh to me, what does he say? I will in no wise cast out. That's another promise of God. So these promises are not to discourage us, but we do need to understand who God is and how he works. He's not our magic wand to flip around and do what we want to do with. No, He's God. We are tools in His hand. He's not a tool in ours. God always keeps His promise, but He does it in His time and in His way. And then, again, I may be breaking this down so, so nitty-gritty. God always fulfills His plan. He keeps His promise and He fulfills His plan. Did He keep His promise to Abraham and Sarah? Yes, He did. Did he fulfill his plan? What was God's plan? Well, you read about it at the end of the promise to Abram and Sarah when he said, that in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Who was that blessing? Jesus. Jesus. Who is a descendant of Abraham and Sarah through Isaac. And through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we have forgiveness of sin. We have eternal life through Him, if you'll put your faith and trust in Him. So God always fulfills His plans. And here we go, sub, sub point again. God's plan will always be completed. Isn't that pretty neat to think about that at the end of it all, we're going to get there. God's not going to say, well, I got a few more things I didn't quite get done. Or I would have liked to do a little more over here, but it just didn't get accomplished. No, his plans always get completed. And that's amazing. If you go in my garage right now, you know how many things are incomplete, or incomplete in there that I would have liked to completed things I've started and haven't finished. I've got little projects over here and I got that started. Hey, when I get this tour, or I want to get a little more time or I'm going to get to that. How many of you, you go in your house right now, there's some wall that didn't quite get all the way painted or there's some piece of trim that's not quite done or there's some light that's just not right or some little thing that you haven't got to. Because you and I, we start things all the time that we don't complete. But God never starts something that he doesn't finish. When we see something that we say, well, God hasn't finished that yet, we'll trust him to finish it in his time. He always will complete his plan, and his plan will always be correct. God's plan will always be correct. Let me read you just a few more verses from this story. Genesis 21, verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. If you're looking at that in your Bible, I would circle those words. I would highlight those words. I would underline them. God did it as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. The author of Genesis repeats it for us twice. God always keeps his promise. He always fulfills his plan. Verse 2 of Genesis 21, for Sarah conceived. 
bear Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time of which God had spoken to him. Do you see that? He did it right in his time. He did it in his way. He did it in his time. It was complete. It was correct. It was exactly the way that he said it would be. Look at verse 3. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was in hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Now, she's not claiming that her laughter before was... Um, something God had made her do. No, that laughter was one out of fear, like God can't do this. You know what she's referring to? You know what Isaac's name means? It means laughter, joy. God had given Sarah joy, laughter. She says, so that all that hear will laugh with This morning, I hope, as we have taken some time to examine what may be a very familiar story to many of us, or maybe it's new to some of you, I hope we can all step back and say, isn't God good? Isn't He faithful that we would come away and we would have joy in the faithfulness of God because we hear of the goodness of God to keep His promise to Abraham and Sarah that he could bring her to laughter, to joy through this son of promise. And in the same way, we would take our own situation, whatever it is, and we could give it to the Lord and say, God, help me to face this with joy. Because even though I don't see it today, if I had to figure out how it was all going to work, I'd either do it in my own human practicality or I'd laugh at the impossibility of it or I would just be afraid. And that's maybe where you are right now this morning. But no, if God could be faithful to Abraham and Sarah and could make her to laugh, good, give her joy, give her a son that brings joy not to her, but also to the whole world because as a descendant of Isaac comes Jesus Christ and we have salvation through him, then you too can trust in the Lord. You too can find joy in him. God may not work out the plan in your life the way he's expecting, the way you're expecting it to work out. He may not work it out in the time that you're expecting it to work out, but he will always fulfill it. He will always complete it. He will always do it right on time. He will always do it just in the right way, just as he says. Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. I hope we can laugh with Sarah today. We can rejoice with her today. Because if God is faithful to Sarah, God can be faithful and he is faithful to you and to me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children son? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have thunk it? That's what she's saying here. Who could have imagined it? Only God. Only God. You see, you don't exist in this life so that you can get a lot of glory for yourself. You exist so that God's name can be lifted up, so that 
all men could be drawn to him so men and women and boys and girls could hear the precious news that Jesus saves from sin. And when God takes you and me in our weakness and he does great things in us first to redeem us from our sin, to pay for our sin, when he does great things in us to change us and transform us through his power and through his word, his name is lifted up so that all could laugh, could rejoice, could praise His name forever. Sarah said, I've given Him a son in His old age. I've born Him a son in His old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. God's good. He's faithful. And He keeps His promise. I have to do it. I, I wrote this in my notes and I, I went back and forth all week if I was going to read these verses to you, but I'm going to at the risk of spoiling my message for next week. So you'll just have to come back and hear the rest of it. But if you're in Hebrews 11, I won't make a bunch of comments about it, but would you just follow along as I read the next Four verses, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. These all died in faith. That includes Sarah, includes Abraham, includes Noah, includes Abel, all these that we've already looked at so far. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off. They didn't get to experience all of the results of all of this stuff that God was doing in their life. Because they got to a point, Sarah lived, she had this child, she lived a little bit longer and she died. She didn't get to know all of Isaac's generations all the way down to Jesus. Not on the side of life when she was living on this earth. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. Embracing a promise, that's something you can't fully see or appreciate how it's all going to work out yet. You're trusting in what God may do or what God can do without seeing what He has done or will do. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. They were looking for something else. That is an heavenly country. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. I'm excited to preach those verses to you next week. Have you started to pick up on something 
yet as we're studying through this together, that the hall of faith is less about all these people and more about God. Our life ought to be less and less about us and more and more about Him. But that doesn't mean that we have no significance because God chooses to use weak things, simple things, incomplete things like we are sometimes to complete His master plan. God doesn't devalue us, but as we give glory to Him, He takes broken things and He gives them great value once again. There's a custom in Japan, and many artisans have taken on this, and if you look online, you can see pictures of it, where if a clay pot is broken, sometimes an artist will come along and they will take that pot, and they, it's, it's quite a process that they do, but they build a mold around it, and they'll take gold or silver or some other precious metal, and they'll pour it into and around that form to fill in all those cracks. And this has become an art form in and of itself. And you can see these beautiful bowls and, and plates and dishes on display in museums and art galleries, and people purchase them for large amounts of money because the artist isn't able to start working on the pot until it's already broken. So they don't make it broken and just make it look like that. They take something, sometimes that's really old, that's been broken, and then they make it so, into something beautiful. And they don't hide the cracks and the broken shards. They actually accentuate them by filling it up with that precious metal. And that's just a, a really neat thing that people have done to make art and beautiful things. But I think in some way, that's so similar to what God does with our lives. He takes things that are broken, missing parts, <laughs> cracked, messed up, and he turns them into something really beautiful for his glory. So he takes something that this world would say is just trash, throw it away, and he turns it into a beautiful treasure, and it brings great glory to our God. Father, I'm so thankful that you love us and that you use us to fulfill your work and your plan and your time. Thank you for the example of Sarah. Lord, we know she was far from perfect, so was Abraham, so was each of these people that we will study as we continue on through our Living by Faith series. But Father, thank you for using us. Lord, help us not to take this message and use it as an excuse to sin or as an excuse to go our own way and just think that you'll work it out in the end and it'll all be okay. Lord, we know there's consequences for wrong choices and there may be some here this morning that are struggling with some of those things. Maybe somebody here today, Father, that is living in sin and needs to come to you and make it right and be willing to walk by faith and obedience even if they don't understand they feel like their own human limitation makes it impossible to obey you. Their own uh, will, way of looking at things, they don't see how it's possible you could fulfill your plan. Lord, help us all to trust you today and to confess those things and just cast ourselves upon the arms of one who is faithful 
and who is powerful and is greater than any one of us could ever be. Bless this time now in Jesus' name. I pray, amen.